welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the podcast. And our sponsor this week is the JAEC Foundation, which is hosting an international conference on open dialogue this August. And you can visit the website jaecfoundation.org for more information. And now on to our interview. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Beverly Thompson. Beverly is a writer, researcher and speaker with a focus on psychiatric medication, including antidepressants, benzodiazepines and ADHD drugs. She is interested in their history, how the drugs work, adverse effects, dependence, withdrawal and the development of patient support services. For the past 10 years, she has worked with organisations such as the British Medical Association, the Scottish Government and recently the UK All-Party Parliamentary Group for Prescribed Drug Dependence. She is currently part of a Scottish Government short-life working group addressing the issue of prescribed drug harm and dependence in Scotland. We talk about Beverly's latest book entitled Antidepressed, a Breakthrough Examination of Epidemic Antidepressant Harm and Dependence, published by Hatherley Press in 2022, featuring compelling accounts from people whose lives have been irrevocably harmed by prescribed antidepressants. Beverly's work provides proof that there is no such thing as a magic pill and that pretending otherwise risks the lives and well-being of those who need help the most. I was keen to know more about what motivated Beverly to write Antidepressed and what we can learn about psychiatric prescribing from her research and experience. Beverly, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me for the Madden America podcast. And um, we're shortly going to be talking about your recent book titled Antidepressed, a breakthrough examination of epidemic antidepressant harm and dependence. And it's published by Hatherley Press. But before we get to talking about the book, I'd like to ask a little bit about you and your background. So what was it that led you to want to write Antidepressed in the first place? Thank you so much for inviting me to talk with you, James. My initial interest began around 12 years ago um, when I was working in a counselling role in primary and secondary schools. And I noticed the language being used by both teachers and parents uh, was starting to change. And rather than asking what was happening with or to a child, um, we were starting to ask what was wrong with the child. So we were starting to hear, I think there's something wrong with him or her, or I think he or she has ADHD when talking about children who were quite obviously having difficulty coping with school or family life, or what were often complex family or social issues. I suppose the first question I had was, why are we starting to blame children for their understandable difficulties coping with what were often very challenging circumstances or life situations? They were finding themselves in these situations and we were asking what was wrong with the child. This then led me to begin to read about, attend conferences, speak with individuals about the labelling and medicating of both adults and children for their so-called mental health issues. And I soon realised this was becoming a huge issue. And I developed an interest in all aspects of psychiatric drugs, particularly antidepressants, and how they were negatively affecting people. 
And the more patient experiences I read and listened to, the more I knew patient voices needed to be heard. In the last few years, I realised there was a need for a book about antidepressants written in an accessible style, which contains all the important work done to date by researchers, academics and advocates. And my aim was to write a book to enable us to become informed consumers of antidepressants. So I wanted to write a comprehensive book, which was not written in medical or academic language. So I want antidepressants to empower us and educate us and to see ourselves as consumers of these drugs, rather than patients with little or no autonomy. You know, someone once said to me that when you realise something is wrong, you have a responsibility to tell others. And as I so often say, I realised very early when I started my research that there are many things wrong when it comes to antidepressants and other psychiatric drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Beverly. And um, the book starts with a very, very powerful letter from Anthony Schofield, who tragically ended his life at 52 years old. And it's very, very clear straight away from his letter where he placed the blame for his agony. And that was from taking and coming off prescribed antidepressants. So I imagine this isn't an isolated event, this particular tragedy. So yours is really a very important book, isn't it? Like so many people, Anthony's life was ruined by both the overprescribing effects of polypharmacy and the lack of support when he found himself suffering the adverse effects and dependence on antidepressants. His issues began at a time when there was very little information about um, available about the negative effects of antidepressants, and there were there were no online support groups to help at that time. He believed his situation was down to a lack of professional awareness and their absolute failure to acknowledge these drugs could cause such life-changing psychological and physical harm. It was only towards the end of his life that Anthony realised the antidepressants were to blame for the situation he found himself in. But unfortunately, like for so many, it was too late. Like so many people say, it's not until things start to go wrong that you realise what is happening and you begin to question. So for two years, about two years after Anthony's death, I spoke with his mum, Bridget, at least three times a week um, and we become, became very good friends. She had been seriously ill for over a year but was desperate to see my book in print. And she did, just before she passed away this February. And I lost a best friend. So one of the last things Anthony asked his mum to do was to tell the world about antidepressants. And I hope antidepressed will be the voice, will be their voice. Antidepressed is not a book about politics or about big pharma bashing, but it's about enabling us to be the informed patient Anthony had the right to be. And his mum became, even in her 80s, for Anthony and Bridget, I hope antidepressed will prevent more tragedies and wasted lives. Yeah, absolutely. I, I understand. And, you know, Beverly, in reading the book, you know, it, it's a very human book. It's, you know, as you said, it's not a textbook. It's There's plenty of science in it, but it's science from the perspective of science gone wrong that could potentially harm people if we don't know what we're dealing with. So, you know, it, I, I'm hugely grateful to you for all the effort that went into it. Um, so, 
I wondered if we could first turn to rates of prescribing because, you know, I, I think there's this kind of sense out there that, you know, antidepressants are, you know, very precise, targeted, specific drugs. But, um, you know, as you yourself note in the book, we're seeing unprecedented increases in the prescribing of antidepressants, not just here in the UK or US, but many parts of the world. So, I, I just wondered, is this simply down to more people experiencing mental health problems or is there a bit more to it than that? Despite the unprecedented increases in prescribing, there has never been any evidence of the epidemic of depression we talk about. But we do, however, have a mental health pseudo-epidemic in the Western world. The increase in antidepressant prescribing is cultural as well as medical trend, and it reflects the medicalisation of everyday life. There are two sides to this. There are the constant mental health messages we we hear nowadays, and they seem to be a media and political obsession. You know, these messages have ultimately led to the increase in antidepressant prescribing, as we are told to get help, but the majority of those who do will be given medication. Their help will be medication. So governments and the industry have capitalised on the fact we believe and accept antidepressants are a safe and effective answer to our problems. We are told our mental health deserves parity with our physical health, and I'm not disputing that at all. But the question is, are these messages being strategically used by those in power to avoid responsibility? The pharmaceutical industry, psychiatry and doctors are supported by governments and mental health organisations and charities to promote mental health, meaning it has become a massive industry. I guess the question is, are we enabling or allowing governments to fail to acknowledge and address the social determinants affecting our lives, which are making us unhappy or anxious? Are we allowing them to make us believe it's all our fault and not theirs? And it's down to us to solve our problems by taking a pill. We're told our mental health deserves parity with our physical health. But we live with poverty, homelessness, unemployment, loneliness and many other societal factors causing our distress. But we're told it's about our mental health and we need to fix it. Our social problems have, I suppose, become medical ones. And antidepressants make life easier for those in charge. But unfortunately, as prescribing rates soar and markets are expanded, we're seeing more and more suffering caused by the adverse, often life-changing effects of these powerful psychoactive antidepressants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Being an informed consumer is so important, isn't it? But if if access to the information that you need to become informed is restricted, as we know that it is, that's almost an impossible situation for people to be in, isn't it? I suppose there's another side too, unfortunately. Our growing power as consumers nowadays doesn't seem relevant when it comes to the ever-increasing prescribing of psychiatric drugs. And whilst we have the means to ask questions and learn through the internet and social media, unfortunately most of us still accept the drugs we are prescribed will be beneficial and will do us no harm. We live in the age of the consumer and it's a time when we have access to so much information about products and we can be empowered about the decisions we make. And in most commercial areas, 
the balance of influence and power has shifted from manufacturer to the consumer. In fact, in many areas of healthcare, the rise in healthcare consumerism and increased access to healthcare information has resulted in more choices than ever for patients. But I started to ask myself why this is not happening when it comes to antidepressants and other drugs used to treat our mental health. You know, why do people accept that doctor still knows best when it comes to our mental health treatment? And why have we not felt the need to empower and inform ourselves about what are powerful and often life-changing drugs? I suppose the answer is pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical company marketing departments haven't had to adjust their messaging and marketing strategies to meet the needs of a more informed consumer when it comes to antidepressants. The messages are very much the same as in the 1990s or early 90s that we have a chemical imbalance and we need to that we need to balance. Um, and normally today's consumer has often researched products they intend to use use or they, they buy and they've researched them beforehand. This means that the seller or the deliverer of services should have to be more informed about the product and more knowledgeable in their dealings with customers to ensure their customers' satisfaction. So far, this hasn't happened when it comes to psychiatric drugs. Their marketing departments haven't had to adjust their messaging strategies to meet the needs of more informed consumers and prescribers have not had to become more knowledgeable about the most up-to-date research. Prescribing rates are increasing because we have enabled the mental health medical model of treatment to dominate. And that's recently without very much questioning. I'm hoping the recent umbrella study by UCL will mean that more people will start to question the chemical imbalance. More people will become more knowledgeable. And with that, prescribers will also have to become more knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, on that point, so you have a section, section in the book which dispels myths and you ask the question, who is looking after patient interests? And, you know, you described yourself, there's the pharmaceutical companies, there are, you know, all, all the health institutions, there are charities, there are, you know, we get bombarded with messages on a daily basis about our mental health. But, you know, so when you looked into this question of who's looking after the patient side of it and patient interests, what did you find? Since 1988 and the arrival of Prozac, we have been brainwashed by the powerful marketing of the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, in the 90s, national campaigns national campaigns informed doctors and the public of the dangers of depression and antidepressants were seen as the quick fix answer. So we were convinced by the pharmaceutical industry and doctors that depression was a biological disease that chemical imbalances needed balancing, and all our life problems could be cured by a drug. So pharmaceutical industry, me industry messages have changed very little since the 90s when it comes to antidepressants, and most professionals and patients still quote and believe the marketing message that we have a chemical imbalance. As I previously said, this hasn't had to change because not enough people have questioned it. 
But if we see our inability to cope with life as an illness or condition, the drug regulators and pharmaceutical industry see us as consumers. What most people don't realise is the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration in the US and the MHRA, well, the Medicine and Healthcare Products um, Regulatory Agency in the UK, receive significant funding from the pharmaceutical industry. And they also employ ex-industry professionals in key leadership positions. The FDA are often accused of not putting the American people first, with huge financial ties with pharma. And the MHRA have been accused of corruption, and they admit the costs they incur for regulating medicines are entirely met by fees from pharma. These conflicts of interest are said to lead to lenient regulations placing the interests of pharma above patient protection. Most people are surprised to learn the FDA and MHRA require only two positive trials to approve a psychiatric drug for public use, and they simply ignore all negative trials. They have a history of manipulating research to highlight positive outcomes So the majority of psychiatric drug trials are, of course, conducted and commissioned by the pharmaceutical industry. In March 2019, the FDA apparently gave very quick approval and quite a bit of flexibility for the antidepressant esketamine, which is to be marketed as Spravato. This is based on ketamine, which can have psychedelic and cognitive adverse effects. What is worrying is that by lowering the bar and approving such an antidepressant, which is said to have incredibly questionable safety and efficacy, I suppose what we have to ask is, is the FDA putting patients at risk and not putting the American people first? Thankfully, the NHS recently denied approval, and this can only be seen as a positive thing, regardless of their reasons. Uh, Thank you, Beverly. Um, So... Antidepressants are known to have a range of adverse effects, which people will be familiar with, but amongst the more serious effects can be the risk of suicidal thought or action. And we know from people's testimonials that sometimes that can be precipitated by unbearable experiences like akathisia. So, um, you know, in the research that you did for the book, what did you find out about the relationship between treatment with antidepressants and the risk of suicide? Unfortunately, we choose to take antidepressants because the benefits have been widely promoted and the risks downplayed. There are many common experiences, but everyone has a unique response to antidepressants. No one can actually predict how a person will react to them physically and psychologically. Doctors rarely warn us about the adverse effects when it comes to prescribing antidepressants. A doctor should always give us comprehensive information when prescribing antidepressants, enabling us to give fully informed consent. So informed consent means we understand why the treatment is being offered and are aware of the benefits and the risks. And it's our medical right. This happens in all other areas of medicine. The chemical imbalance theory has been an excellent way for prescribers to actually manufacture consent. And by that, I mean that believing in the chemical imbalance theory 
means we think we know enough about these drugs and what they supposedly do to agree to take them and think we need them. The patient information leaflet for an SSRI drug contains around 200 what they call side effects. 50 they say are common and 140 uncommon. These are not side effects, these are adverse effects. The problem is patient experiences of adverse effects paint a very different picture to the ones portrayed by the pharmaceutical industry and medical profession. And it's alarming, very alarming, that dependence is listed as a rare side effect. And something needs to be done about this. Because we now know there are millions of people around the world who are dependent on antidepressants. So from anecdotal evidence, we know the more serious risks can include um, varied and unpredictable physical and mental states, um, feeling emotionally numb, feeling detached, people can have distorted dreams, they can become agitated, they can have headaches, become suicidal, um, have serious central nervous system problems. And there are complex neurological effects, including chronic brain impairment. Dependence, as I said, is a huge problem. And sexual problems can become a huge problem for many people. I call akathisia the A-word of antidepressant adverse effects. And it's a medication-induced state which can happen when patients start, stop, change dose or switch some generics of some prescription medications, including antidepressants. We also know between 5 and 10% of people actually have difficulty metabolising antidepressants. And this can cause akathisia when starting the medication. So people call akathisia the epitome of losing their mind. And it can cause um, an inner turmoil People do say that they literally felt as if they lost their mind and had no control over it. It can also um, cause terrible physical restlessness. And I have a lot of information in my book about akathisia, which has been provided by the Akathisia Alliance for Education Research and MIST. Um, and it's really, really important that we learn about akathisia. And akathisia can cause suicide either because, just like Anthony, we reach a point where we're unable to cope with the intolerable physical and psychological effects of akathisia, or our mind becomes so unbalanced and detached from reality, we literally have no option but to give in and to act on our thoughts of suicide. Um, and people say they have constant intrusive thoughts of suicide. Akathisia can often be confused with psychosis and we need to do more research to understand how often akathisia is reported as first episode psychosis. I suppose the question we have to ask is, if antidepressants are safe, why do they have a US Food and Drug Administration black box warning for under 25s? regarding safety and efficacy and the risk of suicidality in young adults. There does appear to be an alarming link between rising suicide rates and antidepressant prescribing. The use of antidepressants by people under 25 with depression 
is actually associated with double the risk of suicidal thoughts and behaviours. All suicide prevention strategies need to include awareness of prescription drug-induced suicide, but unfortunately this isn't happening. And we need to question why the strategies which have existed for years and years are so ineffective. And one of the things that I would probably say is because prescription drug-induced suicide isn't taken into consideration. Absolutely. Thank you, Beverly. Um, I wondered if it's okay to move on to ask a little bit about what's called medically unexplained symptoms, because this this strikes me as hugely important and so little discussed. So medically unexplained symptoms seems to be a bit of a basket diagnosis for people that have uh, things wrong with them that the, the doctor can't pinpoint. But I, I understand that people experiencing withdrawal effects from antidepressant drugs are sometimes given this as a as an explanation, but it, it's 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 hardly suitable, is it, to recognise what's actually going on for people? Doctors often fail to recognise or believe our physical or psychological symptoms are adverse effects of antidepressants, and if they don't recognise that, they look for alternative explanations. And this can result in examinations, tests, investigations. And more often than not, they will have negative results. Doctors will then label a patient's adverse effects as what we call medically unexplained, somatic or functional symptoms. These are of unknown etiology or the cause is unknown. This can then lead to diagnoses such as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, ME or IBS. And this is becoming a fast-growing area of research as professionals and drug companies capitalise on the opportunities the adverse effects of antidepressants present. And I call it opportunistic medicine. It's now estimated one in four people who visit G- who visit a GP in the UK have medically unexplained symptoms and one in three who see a neurologist. So doctors become very frustrated with patients who see them with functional or somatic symptoms. And these are becoming a growing burden on health resources. And the patient is often being blamed and further medicated. Ultimately, it leads to more labelling, more drugging and more illness. Yeah, absolutely. That patient blaming is just dreadful for people, isn't it? It just leaves people completely adrift, believing that it's something with them or believing they have something incurable that's so awful that the doctors can't possibly find a cause for it. And yet sometimes obvious things like the fact that the person has been treated with a certain medication for a long period of time are not even taken into account, are they? Um, thank you, Beverly. Uh, yeah, another part of the book that um, I was fascinated by actually was um, where you write about generic drugs, not something that I'd really considered before. So listeners might know that many antidepressant drugs that are no longer under patent by the original manufacturer um, become made more cheaply under license elsewhere. And you know, many might think that easier access to the drugs is a, is a positive thing, but there, might, there are some issues potentially with the manufacture of generic drugs, aren't there? So I, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. So once a brand name drug's patent expires, a generic drug can be produced. So manufacturers submit an ANDA, 
abbreviated new drug application to the FDA or MHRA for approval to market a generic version of the drug. So, for example, Sertraline could be made in June 2006 when the patent for the brand name Zoloft expired. And these generic drugs cost between 20 and 90% less than the brand. So the problem is that we are being told these drugs, the, the generic drugs, are the same as the brand drug. But unfortunately, they are only approved on similarity. So there are no clinical trials. They are not identical. Generic manufacturers do not actually see the brand drug registration file. So that's the exact recipe of how, for example, the brand drug was made. So generic drug makers develop their own formulation. So the thing that we have to think about is the quality of manufacturing is raising serious concern of generic drugs. And each time we might be receiving a different make of a generic drug with a different level of quality or bioequivalence. The other major issue is the production of active ingredients in China, which are being used by manufacturers without declaring the, the origin. So all drugs have an API, an active pharmaceutical ingredient. And the quality of the antidepressant is based on the quality of, of the API. So we often hear they don't work as well but it's more serious than that when it comes to psychotropic medication. I think there was a, 20, a 2008 study did a switch to a generic cause a relapse. But if we're receiving generics with a different bioequivalence, so 80% or 120%, for example, this might cause serious adverse effects. And it might even create new imbalances leading to involuntary withdrawal. So I've, I've had reports of akathisia and suicide due to taking a, a generic. So we might be taking higher or lower doses each time we switch manufacturers. It might cause real problems during tapering, especially when maintaining accurate dosage is absolutely crucial. So if we take a drug, um, a new generic, and we develop adverse symptoms, we actually need to assume it's the drug's fault. We need to make a note of the manufacturer and we need to inform our prescriber. I've had this very experience myself, Beverly. You know, when I was taking metazapine, as I, I did for several years, if my pharmacy changed my brand, I would suffer uh, an adjustment period of two to three weeks where I felt quite unwell, even at the same dose. And I told them about this they would not have it. They focused immediately on the excipients, the other ingredients. They said the active ingredient is the same. They wouldn't have it. And yet, we know ourselves that if you compare a branded product to a non-branded product, let's say Coca-Cola, for example, or Pepsi or whatever, we know that a supermarket equivalent doesn't taste the same as the original because the recipes are different. So it, it can't be that difficult for us to believe that... Um, you know, generics can be different to the branded one, and yet the pharmacies don't seem to accept that. We've mentioned a couple of times that your book, um, really, uh, I think one of the most important and most heart-wrenching parts of your book for me was reading through the testimonies of people that have been affected. So the latter part of the book 
does feature testimonies affected of people affected by dependence and withdrawal. It's it's just heart wrenching to read of the suffering. But more importantly, I, I guess I I understand that many of those testimonies themselves supported a plea to the Scottish government, which is where you're based in Scotland, to do more to tackle these issues. So, you know, those testimonies affected me personally, and I can't imagine a single person reading them and not being deeply affected by them. So what was the response of the Scottish government? So the Short Life Working Group was set up to address the issue, which I was part of, but it has been ineffective. And four years on, Marion Brown, who launched a petition asking the Scottish government to recognise and support those harmed by or dependent on prescribed medication, has just received the final report. So 967,200 people were prescribed antidepressants in Scotland in 2019-2020. And I was on Scotland Tonight recently, which is a news and culture programme on Scottish television. And I was talking about the alarming rates of antidepressant prescribing in Scotland, particularly amongst the young. These alarming rates of prescribing to young people in 2019-2020 probably tell you the lack of response from the Scottish Government. 20,825 young people up to the age of 19 were prescribed antidepressants in Scotland. And this was an increase of almost 80% in 10 years. Current guidelines state young people should only be offered antidepressants in combination with talking therapies and on Scotland Tonight programme. A leading psychiatrist said, These guidelines are followed. Young people are not prescribed antidepressants as the first option of treatment and are given frequent monitoring and review. But we know from anecdotal evidence this is far from what was happening. And we need to question the alarming link between antidepressants, as I've already said, and suicide and self-harm amongst young people. That delay you mentioned of four years, that's staggering because given the rates of prescribing, if 20,000 more young people a year are being put on the drugs and we know from other work that's been done that maybe 50% of those might go on to suffer dependence and withdrawal issues, that's 10,000 people a year potentially more needing help, isn't it? Looking at your book in, in, in the round, having read it, it's really difficult to read it without concluding that the best thing would be to treat as few people as possible with the lowest dose of any particular antidepressant for the shortest possible time. And then, of course, taking care to taper at the end of a a short treatment period. Yet, as you point out in the book, so clearly that's not the approach that we take, is it? So we think the number of people taking their drugs long-term is increasing and and long-term use is really becoming almost accepted as a norm, isn't it? Many people say antidepressants saved their lives and they could not survive without them. And for many, not being able to survive without them has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So often missing one dose, we might see um, adverse effects which are the first indication of our dependence. These can be adverse effects such as dizziness, brain zaps, feeling sick, And no one knows how long it takes to become dependent on antidepressants. But anecdotal evidence tells us for some, it's not very long. And this is one of the main reasons we should take antidepressants for the shortest time possible. 
And it's perhaps dependence that makes it difficult to withdraw from antidepressants. So our level of dependence might actually dictate the severity of our withdrawal symptoms. If we try to stop taking them and we experience withdrawal symptoms, many people remain blissfully ignorant dependents because they think they are or are told that they have a relapse and and actually need the drugs. Millions of people are unaware, unaware of the problems dependence might cause them. Taking antidepressants long term and dependence make us vulnerable in so many ways. And I talk about this quite often. So imagine if you are dependent on antidepressants and you can't get them, you can't access them, or you can't communicate your need for them. Your new antidepressant maintained balanced state will probably become unbalanced and you will probably go into involuntary withdrawal. So having access to the drugs we need can literally, in some cases, be the difference between life and death. We're vulnerable if we're not properly informed about our drugs and if we receive bad advice from doctors. The elderly in particular can become vulnerable if they have no support and if they're unable to make decisions or communicate properly that they need their medication because of dependence. A young person can be vulnerable when they move away from the security of home and family If they're not educated about the dangers of suddenly stopping their antidepressants and of their potential dependence, they are vulnerable. We're vulnerable if we are not able to afford our long-term medication. It's estimated that between, I think, 2.5 and 5 million people in the US are struggling to afford and access psychiatric medications that they actually need. And as I talked about earlier, we're vulnerable um, when there are drug shortages and when changes in cheap generic drugs can cause adverse effects. I think we need to start with education for both patients and the medical profession. And we need greater transparency and access to unbiased research. Everyone has a right to take antidepressants, but they also have a right to know the potential harms and risks. And the problem is that with millions around the world dependent on these drugs, it's actually impossible and impractical there can ever be a world without them, well, at least in the near future. We're told by governments and healthcare organisations that we should take charge of our health by being informed consumers. And I hope in the future people will have a better understanding of antidepressants And they will ask their prescriber more specific questions about the treatment. So ultimately, I suppose better informed consumers, as I said earlier, means we we need to have better informed professionals. And many people are becoming better informed. And they're asking if the drugs are safe and effective and worth having. But as I said, you know, most people still believe we're in the age of doctor knows best. And the reality is, much of the time, doctor is simply doing as he or she is told. In lots of other areas of mental health, we talk about the need for a change of narrative. And the most popular being, you know, we need to start asking what happened to you rather than what is wrong with you. But maybe we should also think in ways of changing how we see ourselves. And yes, we are doctors and patients who prescribe and take drugs 
But we must also remember it's about selling and consuming. I have a quote from my book which explains um, how I see the future when it comes to antidepressants. So, whilst governments around the world debate, medics remain willfully blind and charities secure their funding, the change has to start with us as individuals, as advocates and as informed patients. The fact that we know a doctor's appointment is often the start of a lifelong journey as a psychiatric patient with a stigmatising lifelong condition and dependence on psychiatric medication means the shift starts by us questioning the overuse of antidepressants and looking at alternative ways to support and care for each other. It starts by becoming more knowledgeable, reclaiming some control and power over our own healthcare and by taking responsibility to educate ourselves to the best of our ability. It starts by understanding antidepressants are not the easy and quick fix their makers and doctors say they are. Thank you, Beverly. So, you know, antidepressed for me was, um, you know, it was quite a read, really. You know, the, the, the combination of the science and the explanations that you give, but then juxtaposed with the kind of testimonies from people that have been impacted by this poor science, poor evidence, poor research. That really brought home to me what a huge issue this was. So I guess, you know, you must have gone through a thinking process as you were putting everything together. So do you think we need to critically examine and change the place of psychotropic drugs in our response to mental health difficulties? There are some things we desperately need if we are going to avoid overprescribing harm and death caused by antidepressants. So we need to be in a position where we can give informed consent about these drugs, um, not manufactured consent, as I described earlier. So if we agree to take antidepressants, we need to be fully informed about the benefits and the risks. We need updated prescribing guidelines based on evidence and that means we need more research which is independent and not industry funded. And if we choose to take antidepressants, we need to take them for the shortest time possible. And this, this is to try and avoid dependence. If we develop symptoms after starting, reducing, switching or stopping antidepressants, I think we must always assume it's the drug's fault until proven otherwise. We desperately need more unbiased independent research, particularly regarding the long-term effects and the best ways to withdraw from antidepressants. We need to look at pharma-producing drugs in smaller doses and tapering strips, which you have promoted so well, James. There's a link to your petition in my book and I hope people will sign it. We need education for the public and professionals, particularly about withdrawal, about axesia and antidepressant-induced suicide. We urgently need support services for those harmed or dependent. And we must develop withdrawal and prescribing programmes. You know, it's really unfortunate that recently the um, UK government decided not to fund a helpline which could have helped so many people when it comes to antidepressants. I think we need to question the often unnecessary and dangerous prescribing to, to children 
to young people, to the elderly, and as I write in my book, to the armed forces and veterans. I think we must question the potential harmful effects of cheap generics, because this is a huge issue. You know, I do not say people shouldn't take antidepressants. I say we need to know about the benefits and the risks. You know, so many people have said to me, I should have known these things when they realised their dependence on antidepressants. And I know so many people who wish they had been fully aware before they swallowed their first pill. Fully aware of the realities of life taking antidepressants. I absolutely urge people to challenge our preconceived and societal ideas and beliefs about antidepressants. We should educate ourselves to the best of our ability. And please learn from the experiences of others. Beverly, uh, thank you for joining me today uh, for the podcast. I think antidepressed is a really, really important, uh, more than important, a vital read for anybody, for patients, for carers, for people considering taking the drugs, for people on the drugs at the moment, for anybody that has anything to do with prescribing the drugs. I can't help thinking that if they read antidepressed properly from cover to cover and read the science and the research and looked at the patient testimonials, I think we would be prescribing these drugs in a radically different way and we would be informing people and we would be taking much more care to make sure that people weren't left on these drugs with no help or support or information long term. So thank you so much for being with me today and thank you for writing Antidepressed. Thank you, James. It's been really good to talk to you. And thank you for this opportunity. Well, I just want to thank Beverly so much for joining me for the podcast today. I highly recommend reading her book, Antidepressed. And if you'd like to know more about it, you can visit the website hatherleycommunity.com forward slash antidepressed. And Hatherley is spelt H-A-T-H-E-R-L-E-I-G-H. So that's hatherleycommunity.com forward slash antidepressed. Or you can find it on Amazon.com and other book retailers. So, as always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit MaddenAmerica.com for more news, views and updates.